Hello, Hugo. So you didn't make it, huh? Pardon me? You didn't make it. It's cool. No biggie. You're not the first person to visit me, you know. But what's up with the wheelchair? Uh, I broke my leg falling down a hole. Oh, is that how you died? Hugo, I'm not dead. Sure you're not. No, I... I promise you, I'm very much alive. Hey, Susie, am I talking to a dude in a wheelchair right now? Yep. Welcome to Tessa Watches Lost, Monkey on My Backlog, second weekly podcast where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is Tessa. This week, we're talking more time travel shenanigans in the episodes The Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham, LaFleur, and Namaste. Now listen, we're doing three episodes because they were rude and made an odd number of episodes this season, and of course the finale's a two-parter because why wouldn't it be? Also, I need you to know, now that all of our favorites, or most of them anyway, have made it back to 1977... We are growing ever closer to the throwaway line that is possibly my favorite moment in the entire series. And we're just going to have to devote a lot of time to it. So we needed to do the three episodes this week because when the line happens, we're going to go on a long digression. Legends of Tomorrow is going to come up. It's going to be a whole thing. Can't wait. I mean, I know that sounds like sarcasm, but I really can't wait. Okay, well, cool. We're back in that undefined time period before the 1970s, which is our first stop in our chronological adventures this week. Oh shit, there's a statue, Tessa! Isn't every time period before the 1970s an undefined time period? Pretty much. I think that's true. It was really funny because I looked away for one second while we were watching this, and you were like, did you see it? And I was like, see what? Oh shit, there's a statue! You like... Rewound it, and I was like, the foot! (laughs) Like, that's all I said. The foot. It's the foot. The foot. Yeah, we got to see the statue before it crumbled. I don't know. I feel like... The reverse Planet of the Apes. Nope, it's just the Planet of the Apes. So, I hate... You monsters. (laughs) Every, Every movie could... Every television show really could be the Planet of the Apes at any time. It's true, it's like... Ooh, Predator versus the Planet of the Apes. Ooh, would watch. Would watch. Would that be a surprise Planet of the Apes movie or a surprise Predator movie? I think the surprise just cancels itself out. The surprise is when the chestbursters show up. Yeah, Like one of the apes dies and then it's a whole... It's like a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I totally get that. And then Ridley crash lands, so it's like kind of a quasi-remake. But instead of Charlton Heston, it's somebody who doesn't suck. Right. 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 No, right. I, I, yeah, no, I, I'm with you on this movie. Um, Andy Serkis plays like seven roles. I was going to say, one. like, as long as Andy Serkis is involved and, right. Yeah, that, that's, that's good for me. I like that. This moment is so short in the show that there's really not a lot to say about it besides just the, like, Leo DiCaprio meme you know, pointing at it, Mm -hmm. but it does raise some interesting questions and kind of uncomfortable questions, if I'm being honest with you, about the indigenous people of this island who come up 
many times during these three episodes. We already know that the Dharma Initiative believes that the others are the indigenous people of the island. That's never been confirmed. We just know that they believe that. We know that Richard is like an immortal, possibly vampire type person. This statue very much looks like something that someone who's not indigenous might come up with to look like something that's indigenous. And I do worry a little bit that this show is going to try to connect Richard, who is a white person, with some kind of like Aztec, Mayan, indigenous kind of background. You know what I mean? I do. And, And two things here. First, is he a vampire or is there a painting in the attic somewhere where he doesn't have any makeup on? <laughs> and and two... It comes up in this episode. And two, it's cute that you think they'll follow through on anything. Uh, I mean, I guess I that is true. I just love that for you. I guess that is true, is that I am treating this moment like it is something that's actually not just a Leo DiCaprio gif pointing at it. This can't be imperialist or appropriative or anything if they don't actually do anything with it. Oh, ha! (laughs) All right, 1974, Charlotte's gone, Tessa, because she's dead. Dead people don't time travel. She's dead, Tessa, dead. Dead. Gone. This was actually really upsetting. I mean, I knew that she was dead. Already, although, like I said, that doesn't seem to mean a whole lot on this show. But Daniel just like sitting there, like empty handed, you know, where her body was and the tears in his eyes. Like it's it was very emotional moment. Like poor Daniel. And that's the most we see of him for this entire three episodes. Well, he almost, you know, gets his brain scrambled. Don't forget. Sonic fences. Oh, Yeah. In his grief, he almost walks into a sonic fence, except for Juliet saves him. Except for he actually does walk into the sonic fence. Because they all do. Well, sure. All of our friends who make it to 1974 first come across a tableau, if you will, of two men about to kill another man and a woman watching. This felt very post-apocalyptic. The others, or the hostiles, or the indigenous people, if you will, kill Paul, and the gang saves Amy. Yes, they have a whole conversation about it first, which was a little disturbing until I realized that they were still unsure of the whole time travel thing. Like, can they actually do anything? And I love how they all turn to Daniel, and Daniel is just so sad. He's like, nothing matters. Like, he's, he's, he's in his depressed phase, in his blue phase. He doesn't care. Nothing matters, man. Charlotte's dead. Anyway, so Amy, of course, tricks them into, you know, walking through the fence, as we just discussed. And then Sawyer, I mean, Jim LaFleur, works a con so that he, Juliet, Miles, Daniel, and Jin can stay with the Dharma Initiative. Knew that con stuff was going to come in handy eventually, right? I loved this. Not only because we can see Sawyer once again taking the reins and being a leader, right? Which is when he expects more of himself. Like when he allows himself. Yes, I think he would. 
when he allows himself to lead and to take responsibility for these people that we've already talked about last week, he's sort of claimed, right, as his family. He's very good at it. This is really him at his best. And I think all three of these episodes, at least the ones that he's in, he... I think that this is a meditation on it. The Lafleur episode and the Namaste episode are both sort of, this is Sawyer. This is how far he's come from that guy from season one that just didn't think he was worth anything. And also, I I just, I love not only, see, this is how you do a throwaway joke, right? This is how you do an Easter egg. Because in this con, the way he convinces Horace that his story is true is he says that they were are part of a crew that was treasure hunting and he names drop he name drops the black rock which i think is just like you know every con has a kernel of truth in it you know type of thing i thought that was brilliant that was a fun easter egg that actually made sense in the context of the scene most of the stuff in 1974 is just to get us to 1977 get the plot moving along so we won't linger for very much longer but, oh, look, that there's Charlotte. There she is. She's a child. Oh, no. We have a Renesmee situation, everybody. We have a Renesmee situation. Uh, time travel, am I right? Yeah. Poor Jacob. I mean, Daniel. I really hope the reason he's gone is not because he's kidnapped her. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, look, there's Richard Alpert. He's back. Oh, uh, the the... Once and future king of eyeliner himself, Richard Alpert. I think it's really funny that Richard, as a character that we've seen a lot throughout this series, who has always been mysterious, we've always been like, is he a vampire, he's immortal, or he ages slowly, like what's going on with him? I think it's almost become comedic the way that he keeps running into them throughout time yeah. and has no idea who they are every single time. Like right? He's just like, oh, John. Oh, Sawyer. Oh, like he just yeah, like has once, no idea. For once, Sawyer gets the drop on him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and is able to negotiate, you know, because Richard has shown up. Two hostiles have been murdered. So two of his team have been murdered. And Sawyer basically proves his worth and saves all of them, his gang, and then the entire Dharma initiative by like talking his way out of this. He does a great job, and I really like that he's basically, look, man, we're waiting for John to come back, too. Like, it's very much a, they're all waiting for John. Right. Which John would be pleased with if he knew about it. Yep. Because, you know, John's an attention whore. He wants all the attention. Main character. Will act out if he is not having the attention. All right. Ready for 1977? Yes. All right. I have a very important question for you. I think it's the most important question to come out of these three episodes. Second only to how much taller can Walt get. (laughs) But we'll get to that. The most important question from these three episodes is, is Phil the worst? Oh, Phil is the worst. Tessa's looking at me like, who's Phil? And I'm like, the worst. It took me a second. And then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that guy. He's that guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. He is the worst. He is the worst. What is his deal? He's that guy. You know that guy? He's the worst guy? No, the micromanager guy. Right. Right. He's the worst guy. The worst, yeah. Yeah. The worst. I thought Neil was bad. Wait, are you going to tell me that Phil gets shot by a flaming arrow mid-sentence? Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be awesome. All right. Or like maybe a piano can fall on him. Ooh. 
Remember Amy? Yeah. She's having a baby. Oh my God. I loved this scene so much. Which which scene would that be? No. So she's having problems. And so Sawyer has to go get Juliet. And Juliet is really nervous about it because she basically is like every woman I try to help on this island ends up dead. And you told me I'd never have to do this again. And Sawyer's like, maybe that hasn't happened yet. You need to help her. Nobody else can help her. Which begs the question, why doesn't Dharma have a medical doctor? They just have like an intern on the island. Like of all the doctors that they have, I feel like one of them should actually be a medical doctor. More on that later. But the scene where, so she goes in, she immediately takes charge of the situation despite her fears you know, she, she's got this. Like, Despite she's, the fact that she's just a mechanic. Yeah, she's just a mechanic for the Dharma Initiative, but she's like, good to go. She knows how to help in this particular situation. She's like, I'm going to do a C-section. This is what I need. Get out of the way or help. But the, the part that I really liked, besides all of it, because I love Juliet now, the part that I liked is that she and uh, Sawyer and, it is just Sawyer. Sawyer is waiting outside to see what happens. And she comes out and she's got her scrubs on and she's got tears in her eyes. And so the the fake out is you think maybe this person also died, Amy, that she that she died. And this is just another thing that Juliet has failed at. But then, you know, she smiles and she's like, you know, it's a boy. And like, you know, it's it's very much like that reversal, right, that she's crying because she's so happy that the curse hasn't happened yet or that she was actually able to help Amy. You know what scene this really reminded me of? What scene did this really remind you of? So this isn't the first time that we have made the connection between Grey's Anatomy and Lost. You just did it with the running away with the baby thing. Yeah, I know. That's one. The other one, of course, is when Meredith and crew are part of the plane crash and we get that shot of Meredith waking up in the middle of the woods, which is supposed to be invoke Jack waking up on the island. This one, though, is very much like Bailey when she... Uh, helps Meredith. Do you remember this scene? Because Bailey had just gone through that whole thing where she accidentally infected a patient because the gloves were faulty. And so like a bunch of them died and she is cleared of all charges, but she, it like really triggers her OCD. And so she's not able to do surgery for a while. And then the first surgery she does is because Meredith's bleeding out after giving birth and there's nobody there to help her except for Bailey. And so there's this scene where Derek and Christina are waiting outside of the OR and she comes out and she's like crying and both of them think that Meredith has died. And so they like burst into the room and Meredith's fine. And Bailey comes in after them. It's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. (laughs) And like that, that to me is this scene. Sorry. I love Grey's Anatomy. Uh Uh-huh. Actually, I'm not going to apologize for that. I love Grey's Anatomy. Damn it. You know, they were both on ABC at the same time. Yeah. I wonder which scene came first. Probably this one. Damn it, Jim. I'm a mechanic, not a doctor. <laughs> yes. And so, in a real fun, fun, happy twist that everybody enjoyed, that child is named Ethan. Oh, my God. I love the look <laughs> on Juliet's face. Puts baby down, walks away. Goodbye. Yeah, she's just like, of course there is. We have a Renesmee number two, ladies and gentlemen, a reverse gender Renesmee. I am holding the child version of a dick that I used to work with. (laughs) Wow. 
that there should wow, be a, you committed to that bit, didn't you? There should be a German so word for that, like Schadenfreude. It's uh, it's 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 Fräulein Schnitzel. <laughs> uh, I no no. You leave the wiener out because it's not appropriate yet. Okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I don't know German. I worked with what I had. I like that Sawyer's made himself a home here. Yeah. Like Horace is the boss, yeah. but Sawyer's clearly the person who's and, actually in charge. And Juliet and Sawyer love each other. I That's told so nice. you. I fucking told you. What did you tell me? And you what tried did, what did you tell to me? fucking gaslight me. What, what did you tell me? That Juliet and Sawyer belong together and that they should be together. Uh-huh. God damn it, Sam. Yeah, he's definitely over Kate. No, I know. I know everything about that. I'm just saying they're together. And I knew it. I knew it. Right, and he gives a big long speech to Horace about how he used to be in love with a girl who's Kate, but he's totally over her now. And that's good. I love also the flashback scene. It's the last one from 1974 where Juliet, because Horace has offered to have them go on the submarine home, uh-huh. and Juliet's on the dock, and right. Sawyer's like convincing her to stay, and she's just like, I, you know, I've been, I've been wanting to get on the submarine, you know, I've spent years trying to get on the submarine to go back home, and he's like, home doesn't exist yet, like you're trying to go to yep. a place that does not exist, and she's like, it doesn't matter, I just want to leave this island, but he convinces her to stay, and I think it because he's like, you can't leave me with. With Jin and right. and Daniel and I talk to dead people. No, he says, you can't leave me with the mad scientist and I talk to dead people. Yeah. Like, who am I going to talk to? And that's just, it's such a cute foundation to their relationship. Like, they are very good friends as well as being partners. And I do not think that he is friends with Kate in the same way that he is friends with Juliet. And I don't oh, mean, I agree with that. I don't mean that in a platonic way. I mean that in a you should be friends with your partner way. Well, anyway. It's really good that he's definitely over Kate because Kate's back. Come on, guys. Kate's back. Love triangles are so tired. Thruple, thruple, thruple. Also, Jack and Hurley are back. Yeah, that doesn't matter as much to Sawyer. (laughs) Now, on the bright side, on the bright side, because this is clearly going to be problematic, but every dark cloud has its silver lining. Jin is fluent in English now. I wonder if Daniel Day Kim was so happy for this. I mean, I don't want to discount people speaking in their native languages. And obviously that's not going to be something that's difficult for him to do. But I bet you having to act all of these scenes where they're constantly having to try to communicate with each other. I, I bet you it got old after a while. And so, you know, it it's nice to kind of see this change of pace as well. Also, Jin's hair. Does he have the best hair in this episode? It looks so good. It's like slightly curly. I, I gotta tell you, and here's the thing. I I you're probably right. But I have very, very, very big time hair envy every time I see Evangeline Lily's hair. Yeah, yeah her hair is also great. It looks like, more red this like season. That, but but it's the it's the it's the ocean salt air that has just like thickened it. It's just like like she's got it tied, but it's like a it's like a rope. You could like it's like Rapunzel. You're like style. I want to climb that rope. No, I want that. <laughs> I don't want to climb. I mean, yeah, but Ew. it could be too. Th- Shut the fuck up. I think Hurley has good <laughs> hair too, and I have to say, I mean, Hurley has excellent hair. Hurley, I, now 
to be clear, Hurley, not the actor, not Jorge Garcia, but <laughs> Hurley is the only person who's been featured on a Weezer album cover. So, I mean, that does give him a leg up. So, to what I don't know. The reunion between Hurley and Sawyer was also great. Sawyer is just a little BB bird that wants his family. And it's so cute. And I love that every, he's happy to see everyone, including Jack, even though their meeting is slightly more tepid than yes. not. But I think that's Doc. Jack's fault, not Sawyer's Doc. fault, to be completely honest with you. But that's for reasons we'll talk about later. Yes. Once again, Juliet is definitely the mama bird, and he is totally over Kate. One more time. Just want to make sure that that's clear. Now, every dark cloud has a silver lining, and every silver lining has other dark clouds around it. Because when have you ever just seen one dark cloud... Sun's in 2007. She's not there. She's not on the island. We'll get to her later. But isn't that sad that you know that Jin's like, she's hit. No, she's not. She's not Very here. Sad. Yeah. Do we know for sure it's 2007? We do. Or did they just crash on a different part of the island? Or it's actually another island. We they, will, they do. We talk will get about to that. that. Anyway, so it, assuming this is 2007. Chronologically. Assuming this is 2007. It is. Yeah, it is kind of sad. I mean, it's cool that she's there with Lapidus, which is kind of a fun Lapidus! team up. I actually really liked the beginning of that episode where it, for a minute I thought it was going to be about him because it was focusing on him like piloting the plane through the crash. He's a damn good pilot. Like for an island that crashes things every single time they like come through its airspace, he's managed to land two different aircraft safely. I mean, he still crashed them, but he crashed yeah. them safely. Now, now, Tessa, I just we're not in 2007 yet. We're talking about Jin and his feelings. Oh, I'm sorry. Just. But but I do, apropos of how the island is good at crashing things, Sawyer is definitely over Kate. Oh, my God. Anyway, sad for- Do you for, want a sign? Sad for Jin, right? I am sad for Jin. Okay. Although they all are driving some pretty awesome baby blue yep. Dharma initiative cars. I just wanted to shout out the color. It's a good color. The silver lining to the other dark cloud next to the first dark cloud, but the first silver lining is that Saeed's here. Saeed he is, is here, here. Just hopping through the jungle yep. on his own, handcuffed. Yep. And, and of course, Sawyer has to make everyone think that Saeed's one of the hostels because of this. Although Jin is actually the one who starts this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jin is, Jin is like thinking on his feet there yeah. for a minute. Yeah. He was like, remember when everybody was mean to me because I was in hand, because they put, because Sawyer put me in handcuffs and everybody was mean to me. Remember that? I do. I can role play. Both Sawyer and Jin all but wink at Saeed several times during this exchange. And Saeed, to be fair, the person to do this with would be Saeed. Like, he is the best prepared for this because he's been through all that spy shit with Ben. So, and he's never been in an airport and not been profiled. Uh, oh, let's yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. Like, so he, he is totally used to He this. does not it's know bad, what's going on. But... I don't even know if he knows it's in the, in that, I don't even know if he knows it's 1977. But he knows to play along. Like, he trusts Jin. He trusts Sawyer. He knows that he needs to play along. And he's good at picking up those cues that allow him to give good answers to what people are asking. So, he also looks good in handcuffs. Just saying. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, Jack, Kate, and Hurley get processed as part of the Dharma Initiative. And I just, you know, Sawyer hasn't lost his sense of humor and is not entirely on good terms with the doc yet so <laughs> jack's a janitor workman 
I think this is funny, but at the same time, we just established in the last episode that they just have a medical intern. It really feels like he should be a medical doctor here. Right. Like, and I wonder if that's oh, where they're come going. On. Jack's going to jack his way into that. Scene. Jack's going to jack his way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded bad. I meant to say that Jack is now a verb that means mess things up. Jack is a verb that means something else, too. <laughs> But okay, Jack's going to Brita this up, honestly, okay? Yeah, that's great. I like that. Uh, there's some really good connections there as well. Honestly, though, you could say this is Sawyer, like, passive-aggressively, you know, saying something to Jack. But there is a lot about their relationship that Jack is pretending is the same, but Sawyer has grown past that person that Jack used to kind of feud with. Right, and... And it's not, I mean, later it's not passive aggressive. It's just regular aggressive. When Jack comes to the house and Sawyer tells him, when you were in charge, you reacted. I think. Yeah. And I really liked that because it's true. Jack did always react. He always let his emotional reactions to things dictate what he did. And obviously a lot of that went badly for him. And I think that... Sawyer is a better leader at this point. I don't think he was in season one, but he is at this point because he has practice now, right? There are stakes for him. He's invested and he's taking all of those smarts that he used to use to act out and actually applying them to problems. He's not going to let Saeed die or get hurt. Like that's not, he's not going to do that. Saeed is one of his, right? And so I like that he pushes back when Jack pushes because I have a feeling that Jack came back thinking that he was going to be in charge again. He is definitely starting to rival John for main character syndrome because he keeps thinking that he's going to be the leader and his savior complex needs somebody to save. And so he sees the Island as a way to go back to that where he's constantly saving people and that kind of, you know, activates that savior complex. But now he's here. He's completely out of his depth. He doesn't know as much about Dharma as Sawyer does. And you can just see it. He's not comfortable with Sawyer being the one in charge. But Sawyer's not going to let Jack get away with just taking, like, sliding back in and taking over. Of course. After everything you just said. Because once again, Sawyer is totally over Kate. Jack leaves, Sawyer walks out on his porch, and who is staring longingly at him but Freckles? But Freckles. Freckles. This will be another contention between Jack and Sawyer eventually. I mean, and and I think we can say it. I think we can, I mean, let's make the subtext text. Juliet is better for Sawyer, but truly, Kate is the only one for Sawyer. Freckle. No, that's not how this works. No, I I think it should work this way. And honestly, I also think that you should choose to not go back to toxic relationships, even though you, there's a lot of emotions involved. Is it toxic? I think so. How do you know? Show your work. She keeps leaving him. And whose fault is that? No, I'm saying like she keeps leaving him even when they weren't leaving the island. Like she cannot make up her mind between Sawyer and Jack. I don't know, maybe she'll be better this time around, but like she keeps leaving him alone, and which is like triggers his abandonment instincts, which causes him to act in ways that are not good for anybody. Right. And 
she won't communicate with him at all. And he wants her to. He has asked her to communicate with him many, many times. So I, I the, the reason the thruple annoys me here is more than a bit, right? It is the, we're not going to deal with dramatic emotion. We're not going to deal with this, this thematic issue here. They should just be together. I, I, I don't like it because of that. Because what the issue here is, Juliet might be better for Sawyer. She is better for Sawyer in many, many ways. But she will never understand him the way that Kate understands him. And so what the show is supposed to be asking us, and the answer is not a thruple, is what, what is best for Sawyer? The person who understands him the most or the person that allows him or the part of him that, you know, is quote unquote good to grow? Because that's the thing with Juliet. He excels under her. But, but Juliet <laughs> but Juliet doesn't tap into his whole self. It's, it's growth of the good part of the self without acknowledging or helping or allowing that other part to grow. Whereas Kate could, we don't know. I don't know if she would or she wouldn't, but she could allow his whole self to but- be better and grow. But only if she's willing to grow with him. And I don't know if Kate is. Exactly. So the show is trying to ask, is a sure thing better than the best thing or the potential of that? Well, okay. A couple of things. One, I know you're team Kate, so you think she's going to be the best thing. I am not sure that is actually what the show is asking. That's. I'm just going to table that for now. The other thing is, back to your thing about a thruple... Thruples don't just form because everyone decides to be together. There is plenty of room for this dramatic tension between Juliet being potentially the person who brings out the best in Sawyer and Kate being the one who understands him the best. Like, in order to be in a successful thruple, you have to communicate constantly. And so I feel like there would be a lot of dramatic tension in them all three getting together. There would have to be a lot of working out of individual issues. And I think it would t- take time for them all three to be together. So I just I dismiss your idea that being in a thruple is the easy option. I don't think it is. Okay. I think we can agree to disagree. But I will say... Who am I to get upset at you for wanting to put a narrative into this show that is clearly not meant to be there? I mean, I've been going on for years about how this show should have used logic and stuck to the ideas it started building in the first season. Who am I? It's very, it's very, um, it's very hypocritical of me. I apologize. It's also not the way people who write fan fiction think, which is essentially what I'm doing. Yeah, and and I mean, to be fair, people who write fan fiction could have probably totally written a better end to this show. So again, I apologize. They often do. Faraday's gone. Yeah, that's a really interesting throwaway thing. Two things. Is he gone because he's joined the others, or is he gone because he figured out how to time travel again? Only time will tell, literally. Oh, God. I do want to really quickly shout out Brian K. Vaughn, who we haven't talked about a whole lot, but who has been writing a lot of the episodes this season. I firmly believe the time travel stuff comes from him. If you've read Paper Girls or Saga, you know that he's very interested in a lot of these ideas and that this is like his jam. So 
I actually didn't realize it till watching these three episodes, but I was like, oh yeah, this is a Brian K. Vaughn season. They probably finally let him do stuff that he wanted to do, and that's why the season is so good. Isn't it fun that Bug-Eyed Ben was always Bug-Eyed Ben, even as a child? Oh my God. And you can see the wheels turning in Saeed's head, like, if I kill Hitler... This is baby. We have found baby Hitler. Yeah, if I kill him now... Yeah, that was a fun little sting at the end. All right. You ready for 2007? Yes. All right. We're going to break this up into two parts. Part one, I like to call the many trials of John Locke. I mean, the many trials of Jeremy Bentham. I love that one Charles Widmore gave him that name as his like fake name on a passport. But I like how he there's almost a meta moment when he actually tells Charles, like, your parents had a sense of humor. Why can't I have a sense of humor? Which is mm-hmm. probably the most meta this show has gotten about their weird naming conventions. Yes. So chapter one is Tunisia with right. Widmore, right? As you say. Chapter two. I didn't get to do my chapter conventions before you just went through the first part. So I also love where John's like, how did you know I'd be here? And he's like, this is just where it comes out. Uh-huh. Like- Come on, man. It's like... It's like the miniature golf when it's like, well, this is the hole it comes out of. Yeah. (laughs) Chapter two, the Dominican Republic. John goes to try to convince Saeed to go back with him. Saeed says no. It's interesting that he goes to Saeed first and not Jack. Go on. Maybe it's because he knows Jack has main character syndrome and there can only be one. I don't know. But it is interesting Saeed is doing basically Habitat for Humanity in an apparent attempt to make up his sins, or at least to do some good. But he does does tell John that he has been manipulated for years by Ben, and he's like, who are you being manipulated by? Yeah. But he does ask John to come back, to, like, be, like, to help him. Like, he's like, you can always come back here, and that feels very friendly. It does. More friendly than anyone else, I think. Well, the thing about it is, is, like, if you are, if you are... John Locke, and you're thinking, who is the most competent person and the most willing person to listen to me? That's true. That's Saeed. Yeah, I guess that is true. Chapter three, New York. John tries to get much, much taller Walt to go back with him. Walt says no. He doesn't ask Walt. Oh, no. No, he doesn't. He actually comes to see Walt. I think maybe he meant to ask him, but after seeing oh. him, because remember Abaddon is like, right? why didn't you ask him? And he's like, that kid's been through enough. Mm-hmm. It was nice. It is really nice to get closure on the story. I don't know if we see Walt again. It's really cool that uh, Walt still has The Shining because he talks a lot about, uh, he says, I have dreams every night about, and he gives like a whole list of things on the island. I don't remember exactly what he says, but it's stuff that he was not there for. And I thought that that was really cool to see that he still has like the shining. Again, I, I feel like this character could have been much better used. Yeah. I think it was a dumb decision to write him off the show. I think they could have just talked about how he's a child and child children change yep. anyway. Yep. Um, or they could have recast him. I don't, I don't know. You know who we're not going to see again because he got blowed up. Michael. Right, which well, which Locke definitely doesn't tell Walt. I don't actually know if Locke knows this, though, because the last that Locke mm, that's heard fair. was that uh, the ship was going to blow up, but he doesn't know if the ship 
did blow up or not. So I actually don't know if he knows. So his answer, as far as I know, he's still on the island. Or no, he says, as far as I know, he's on a boat off the coast of the island. That's technically accurate. I mean, he might be able to guess. From a certain point of view. I don't know. Jedi logic, I mean, why would you tell a kid that his father is dead, especially if you don't actually know if he's dead or not? Okay, fine. Chapter four, Santa Rosa, which we introduced at the very top of the episode. Hurley, unsurprisingly, says no. Thinks Locke is dead. That was a hilarious scene with him and the, the orderly. And he thinks that, that John is dead and then he's not dead. It's it's pretty good. It's weird that he reacts this way, though. Actually, he seems like he's pretty in favor of it until he sees a bad in in the background. Like he sees him by the car and he's like, no, that guy is bad news. He like he's been trying to like come here and talk to me. So I don't know. Maybe he could have gotten Hurley if they weren't involved with Widmore. Mm-hmm. Sure. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Chapter five, Los Angeles. Kate says, Nuh-uh. Kate, I mean, I know why Kate says no, but it's weird how she phrases it. This idea that he doesn't love anybody. And she and he responds by saying, no, I, I did love somebody once, but I messed it up, which is supposed to obviously be this reference to Helen. That's her name. But I think her overall point wasn't that he wasn't capable of love. I think the unsaid thing here is that there's nothing he's going to love as much as being a main character. Like he's never going to find anybody that he's going to love more than being the hero. Right. So it's not necessarily that he loves Sawyer and Juliet and Miles and Daniel and Jin. It's that he loves the opportunity to do this main character thing that he wants to do. In fact, I think he would not hesitate to cut any of those people loose if it meant that he could still be the main character. And I honestly think that's what Kate was saying. I think he misunderstood what she was saying. Chapter six, Santa Monica. Helen's dead, but that's not the important part. We haven't talked about Abaddon yet. And Abaddon has, by this point, said, are we going to keep pretending that we haven't met before? (laughs) And Locke has been like refusing to talk to him. And I think it's because they've met before. I think Locke in some ways feels manipulated. And I Mm -hmm. don't think Locke reacts well to that. But he does tell Locke, you know, I'm the person who makes sure people are where they need to be. Right. And speaking of where they need to be, Abaddon's dead now. I really thought Lance Reddick would last longer than this. He does in Fringe. Yeah. uh, Whenever I hear his voice, all I can think of is Mass Effect. But he lasts longer in John Wick, too. I mean, he's not dead yet. That's fair. I like Lance Reddick. I'm kind of sad he's dead. I kind of wanted to see more of this character, but they clearly didn't really know what to do with him. No. Chapter 7, The Hospital. Jack (laughs) says no. This is a pre-Jack in the Cathedral Pre-doubting, no, this is when Jack is doubting Thomas. This isn't where he's he's made his turn yet. So he he straight up tells John that he has main character syndrome, which is, as I've said before, completely ironic considering the fact that I think Jack suffers from the same thing. And he's basically like, "You're not special." You know what does he say? None of us were ever special. 
And I think that's why Jack is depressed because he thinks that at this point. But then it also is supposed to hit this nerve with John. And it does hit this nerve with John that none of them will go with him. And oh my God, I am so upset that John actually is the main character of this. I am like so upset about Uh it because he is actually special. This is like... I'm trying to remember which book it is. It's it's part of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy five book series where I think it might be So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. You, you are referring to the five book trilogy, correct? Yeah, the five book trilogy. Gotcha. Trilogy in five parts is what he used to call it. Yes. He, I think it's So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. Although if I'm wrong on that, please let me know. There's a moment where Zaphod Beeblebrox is captured by this race of people who the way that they torture people and like deal with outsiders or administer punishment is they have this machine that they put you in and the machine causes you for a moment to experience your the actual relationship between you and the rest of the universe it's it's like a moment where you realize how insignificant you are compared to everything else. So you experience everything and you know that you're just like this speck of nothing in compared to it. So that would be everything, everywhere, all at once? Exactly. Gotcha. So they put Zaphod in this box, right? Usually people come out and they're insane afterwards. Like that's what it does. But when he stumbles out at the end, he has this overwhelming sense of confidence and manages to fight his way out. It turns out that the machine told him that he was the most important person in the galaxy because that is his relationship to to the universe at that particular point. I feel like that is what is happening with me and John Locke right now, where I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Chapter the last, the Westerfield Hotel. Where Ben is like, I need you to step down from that ledge, my friend, until the word Widmore comes out of John Locke's mouth. And he's like, nope, let me help you with that. Jokey, jokey, kill, kill, kill. It's not Widmore's name. He knows he's working with Widmore. It's Hawking's name. He said, did you really say Eloise Hawking? And And John is like, yes. And he immediately strangles John. Oh, no. Yeah, there's something about Eloise Hawking, which is weird because he's working with her later. Weird. So I don't know what the point of this was. I'm excited to find out. But I will say that Ben talking John down because John is dealing with a crisis of faith, right? He's like, maybe I'm not the main character and I might as well kill myself if I'm not the main character. But as I've said before, Ben and John are great adversaries. And it's always interesting when you see adversaries have this kind of conversation where one of them actually ends up comforting the other one, talking them off of the ledge, you know, like it's not your time yet. So that was all very touching. And of course, comedically undercut by the fact that Ben immediately kills him. Right. And so ends the book of The Many Trials of John Locke. Now it's time for part two of 2007. I like to call Hail Hydra Island. Oh my God. Because it's, it's Hydra Island. Yeah, yes. Okay. So this is this is after the plane crash, right? So in 2007 on Hydra Island, first thing that we see happening is Caesar. Who's Caesar? I don't know. He's a guy. New character. Caesar finds, Caesar finds a 1954 issue of Life magazine with a story about a hydrogen bomb, Russo's Maps, a journal from Faraday's 
a page from Faraday's journal and Faraday's map. It's weird that those are just all in the same room, like they're connected or something. Like they're connected or something. I just want to say that in our last episode, I was like, new characters alert. The camera has been lingering on these people. And you were like, no, they are not important at all. I I would like everyone to imagine me squinting at Sam right now angrily. Who is this Alana person, Tessa? I don't know. Speaking of unimportant new characters. She is hot. She is. She seems suspicious of Caesar. She is not unimportant because she is hot. You heard it here first. It's important to know people's places and narratives because of their hotness. But she is the marshal, FBI agent, CIA agent, who knows, who was uh, transporting Saeed. She's Hydra. Come on, man. Of course, Saeed would be fighting Hydra. It makes sense. Makes total sense to me. Better than whatever this show became. Would Naveen Andrews, at the time that this was being made, be a good Captain America? We can't do that. Why not? We can barely accept Sam Wilson as Captain America. I'm just saying, like taking aside all the toxic fan racist shit, would he have been a good Captain America at this time in 2007? No. No. Why not? I just that's not his skill set. Winter Soldier? No. I don't know. I, I think but I, I will say this, I think Naveen Andrews should be like if we're just gonna put everybody in the MCU and just not really do anything with anybody meaningful, can we not put him in a movie? I'm down. I mean, I don't know who, but you know, I'd watch that. I would. I'd I watch would too. That. You know, I mean, you know how I feel about Naveen Andrews. I mean, I, I really think that out what uh, who else is is the wasp the only one from the show? I think so. I think Evangeline Lilly is the only one that I can think of off the top of my head. She cut her hair. Anyway, John's alive. Yay! Hooray! He rises from the dead much like a Christ figure. Oh good. You will never ever have any self-doubt again. I feel like there's not a lot to say about this stuff in 2007 because most of it's teases. The the meatiest thing that happens in 2007 is that thwack on the side of Ben's head when Sun knocks him out. I love everything about this. Do you like how we saw first him like in the wounded people tent? And then we find yeah. out how he got there later? I said when it happened, I would love if... Sh- I would love if Sun just beat the shit out of him. And it turns out she did. she did. She did. No, I love everything about this because I love that it's like this group of newbies who have just like crashed on the plane. It's like the new class lost the new class because they're all like doing the stuff that the first group did back in season one where they're all like on the beach and they're bleeding Lapidus and they're trying, trying to, to like Lapidus is trying to lead them or whatever. But then like Ben is just immediately like, Oh, gonna go got my own stuff to do. And son of course follows him because she doesn't care about any of these people. She's there and find Jin. And she knows that Ben is her best bet of finding Jin. And then Lapidus sees son leaving and he's immediately like, Oh fuck these guys. I want to be on the main mission this time. And so he like follows her. And of course he keeps being like, do you trust Ben? Do you trust Ben? And then of course, Ben lets his guard down, which doesn't happen often with Ben. And I think it's because he underestimated son. Like he thinks he's too clever for her. 
But he tells her and Lapidus everything that they need to know to get from this island to the other island, and she immediately knocks him out. And the line that Lapidus gives where he's like, I thought you trusted him. And she goes, I lied. Perfect. No notes. I like this new sight of sun. Yeah. Hey, look, the canoe. And so, yeah. and so Lapidus and Sun main mission their way back to our island. And they go back to the barracks. And we see the desolated version of the barracks. Dharmaville. Uh, and, and the room in which you know, they actually find their way into the room where the intake happened in the previous scenes. Except this time, the only person who's waiting for them is Christian Shepherd. It's so weird that the island has chosen this form to stay in. Like, none of these people know who he is. I guess he just, the island just likes it. Maybe he just feels good, or Jacob, or whoever this is. I have to say, for a minute, I was hoping this would be Bernard and Rose. I really want to know what happened. Are they in the 70s, or are they in 2007? Are they still alive? They'd better not kill Bernard and Rose. And Vincent. Vincent. I is, will rage quit this show if Vincent is dead. Do you, do you have any final thoughts about these episodes or are we going to end on rage quitting if Vincent's dead? I really liked all three of these episodes. I thought they worked together well. I think as you said, Namaste is more of a moving pieces around episode, but it was a good moving pieces around episode. I mean, they don't always have to be nothing, you know, like this had real emotional stakes. Like I said, I feel like this is partially because they're letting Brian K. Vaughn do his thing. I wish maybe they'd let him do his thing the whole time, but that's neither here nor there. I am really excited to see what happens next. All right. Well, we've got all the pieces in place for the back half of season five. Let's find out what happens. Let's find out what happens. That's it for this week. Join us next time when we'll be talking about He's Our You and Whatever Happened, Happened. I am sure that Sawyer and Juliet will still be together by the end of these two episodes. You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris nine, and you can find Tessa at the by paradox until next time. Easy on the ribs. there, Kong Kong. I actually missed that. Missed you too. Hugo.